This presentation is from Service Design Canberra 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Welcome back. <clears throat> we have three, three more excellent talks to wrap up the afternoon. Uh, and we're going to start off with Bryony and Renee. And they're going to we'll follow, follow the not just designing for customers idea. Uh, and they'll talk, about, talk to us about how they've des- how part of the NBN process is about uh, not only designing for the customers, but the people who supply those services to them. So thank you. Thank you. So um, I'm Bryony Williamson, and this is Renee Glass. And as Donna said, we're going to talk about service design at NBN, which is the National Broadband Network. So to do that, we're going to be focusing on a case study of the largest service design project that we've recently undertaken with our external supplier workforce. So the suppliers um, connect, maintain and fix the, fix the network if it needs to be. So think about the guys in the field that, are, um, that might come to your house to install the MBN or you might have seen them working out on the street. So MBN has a really aggressive rollout. Over the next four years, it needs, needs to um, scale operations significantly to meet the strategic target of 8 million happy homes to be connected by 2020. So it's got a fair, <laughs> a fair way to go. Um, and the case study we're talking about today was established to identify opportunities to support our suppliers in scaling their operations accordingly to help MBN meet those targets. Just a little bit more context about MBN and the ecosystem in which it exists. So MBN's a wholesaler, and that means it's not in direct control of um, selling, selling the product to, its, to, to the public or delivering the services itself. So to get MBN at your house, it's a process of placing an order with an internet service provider who are our customers. And some of those are wholesalers themselves, if you think of um, Telstra and Optus. Um, MBN then processes that order and then manages its delivery through its suppliers, so they're third parties, and they have their own subcontractors. So MBN is sometimes two or three times removed from the end users, but as service designers, we're, you know, we're looking at designing those overall positive end user experiences when you're placing an order for the MBN or someone's coming out and installing it at your home. And the only way that we can really do that is by understanding the touch points our customers and suppliers have with end users along that journey and then designing services or tools for them to support that. Um, so up until now, MBN has really focused on understanding our customers' operating model and their touch points along that journey. And it's, it's kind of forgotten about, or not forgotten, but not really focused on the suppliers' part of that journey. And one of the goals of the project that we're going to talk about today um, was really trying to understand this operating model of our suppliers and how we needed to support them to reach um, the scale volumes that have been forecast to, to get to 8 million over the next four years. Um, just before going into the detail, you might think, okay, so why, why didn't MBN do this five years ago? Why are we... Um, why are we waiting till now to focus on suppliers? Um, well, back in 2011, MBN was a very different environment. So it was 
in startup mode and everything was being stood up at once. So processes, the products were being developed, teams were being stood up, systems were being stood up. It was quite chaotic. And for the user experience practice, um, there was only five of us and we had a very tactical focus. So we were embedded within IT delivery teams and we were um, mainly focusing on providing that core business functionality for customers to um, place orders for the MBN and then, and then sell it. But if we look at 2016 and, and where we are now, the business has now redesigned how it's rolling out the MBN network. So it's leveraging off the existing copper and HFC networks. Um, it's also set up new processes to support this plan. And so the focus really now, the focus now is really on operational efficiency and customer experience to meet that target of 8 million homes connected in the next four years. The business now has a better understanding of the skills of the user experience practice because we've been working with them over the, over the last five years. Um, and we have a dedicated team to work on research and discovery projects now. So there's been an increasing demand to help the business map out those end-to-end -end services, which you saw in, in Tao's um, presentation, and understand more about the touch points with suppliers, given the new way it's rolling out that, that network and also the focus on um, customer experience. So you can see now we've started to work more in that experience mapping and, and becoming a bit more strategic. The moment of truth for, um, for starting this project, which we're going to be talking about, um, the, the business was now, because it had stood up all its systems and processes, it was now in a better position to take a step back and look at its operations and suppliers a bit more strategically in terms of those where those opportunities for efficiency are. There was also a recognition that our suppliers are an integral part in, um, I guess, helping MBN meet those strategic goals and it couldn't really afford to make any assumptions anymore about their operating models and the details of those touch points with end users along the way. So um, it, it really needed to, it, it saw the value in investing in this type of project to, um, which was a large scale and quite strategic service design project to get there. And Renee is going to talk about some of that. Thanks, Bryony. <laughs> um, so as Bryony mentioned, the project that we'll talk about today was really designed uh, to help NBN identify opportunities to support our suppliers work efficiently on the day uh, and also to be able to scale operations exponentially over the next um, you know, four or five years. So the project that we undertook was 16 weeks, so it was about four months. The core team consisted of four service designers and we were supported by the business through a project manager and a business analyst. Uh, the scope of the project was quite broad and we were trying to build an understanding of three supplier organisations across a range of business functions. Uh, so these included workforce planning, so how our suppliers plan their workforce, so they've got the right skills in the right areas um, at the right time, basically. Uh, so we were also looking to build an understanding of how they manage their workforce on the day how they actually do the work, so the field operations, so this is the, the, the contractors and the subcontractors out in the field. Um, and we were also trying to build an understanding of their finance areas, IT, supplies and logistics. Uh, so we were very ambitious and we were going quite broad. Um, so we were trying to investigate not only how these functions 
work at a high level, but more specifically how they interact with NBN systems, how they interact with NBN processes, um, governance frameworks um, and teams within NBN. We also had an extended project team that consisted of stakeholders from across the business. So we had people contribute to the project um, from operations, from IT and also from product and customer focused areas. So we used a design process. So we spent about six weeks in discovery and we were constrained in the amount of time that we could have with our suppliers. So ideally we would have liked more time in this space, uh, but we did only have six weeks. Uh, so we conducted a lot of workshops, we conducted a lot of contextual inquiries, so we were with the guys out in the field watching them do their work. Um, and overall we spoke to about 80 participants in that phase. We then brought the insights back into the business and spent about six weeks in design and validate mode. And here we were, um, I guess, synthesising the data into four focus areas for NBN. And we conducted uh, workshops or design thinking workshops with our extended uh, project team. Um, so the format of these workshops uh, was around, you know, building empathy for our suppliers. So we had them do activities where... Uh, we, we tried to get them to really start to understand our suppliers' needs and, and pain points in terms of um, MBN systems and processes. We then sort of moved into a more reflective state, so we were trying to understand what is it internally within NBN that's contributing to these pain points. So we, we started to do a bit of root cause analysis, uh, and then we sort of went into a more of an ideation uh, phase where we were trying to identify some ideas and opportunities uh, for NBN um, to actually improve the way it supports um, suppliers. So we, we did those workshops. We then spent a few weeks um, validating what we'd heard through those workshops and trying to uh, further understand the root cause and the organisational factors that were contributing to our supplier pain points. So at the tail end of this part of the process, we'd issued 64 specific recommendations. Uh, these were related to how NBN can better predict volumes that were going to uh, drop on the day, so helping our suppliers plan their workforce. Um, it was also around um, technicians being more um, uh, self-serving, basically, so make, giving them all the tools necessary to do the job uh, without having to call into NBN for an assisted channel experience. Uh, we were looking at things like IT system uh, data integrity and system stability, so we had some recommendations in that space. And we also had some recommendations that impacted uh, the contracts that we had with suppliers. So things like how we incentivise uh, technicians uh, and also um, the rules around um, when and how technicians can do their work. So our recommendations were quite um, far-reaching. I should mention that after we had delivered, I guess, our recommendations, we did spend quite a bit of time in a deliver mode. So we've spent about four weeks here and we were showcasing the project findings and the recommendations across the business. We were helping the business prioritise those recommendations, not only in terms of uh, their impact to MBN, but also the impact to suppliers. And we're working with a project manager to actually assign recommendations out to the business. We'd had previous experience uh, delivering a report into a project owner that may not have had the remit to uh, make changes in other areas of the business. Uh, so, and this particular project was sponsored from operations. So we needed to make sure that for those recommendations that that 
particular project owner uh, couldn't control, we had to make sure that we could actually um, herd those recommendations into uh, different areas. So when reflecting on our project success, we realised that what made this project successful and what made findings stick and what made recommendations stick was, in, was due in large part to the effort um, that we put in to integrate the project into the business. And to do this, we wore three hats across the project lifecycle. So in the, the rampart phase, I guess, we had to little, be a little bit sneaky and we had to be a little bit strategic. Uh, and what we did here is we aligned ourselves with a project governance team who had really strong connections across different areas of MBN. So they were really well connected, they were very well respected, they had a lot of experience working with our suppliers and a lot of contacts into those organisations. Um, and they were also um, across a lot of significant programs and initiatives within MBN. So we let this team brand the project and become the face of communications with our stakeholders, so we relinquished this aspect um, of the project. And this really helped to establish credibility up front help the project, um, I guess it set the project up for success um, because, you know, not all stakeholders were familiar with service design, uh, but this team was very well connected. So um, it, was, it was great that we could work with this particular team. And it also helped to build a sense of momentum and excitement around the project because this team is associated with um, a lot of significant initiatives we sort of shifted gears during the project and now I guess we sort of started to wear a bit of a change manager hat and so we were making sure that throughout the project we're involving all stakeholders across all stages of the process. Uh, so this included from kick-off to the time out in the field and, and visiting our suppliers to um, all the consultation that happens in between to those design thinking workshops. So it was really important for us to draw a line of sight between what our suppliers were telling us and what our recommendations were that we issued towards the end of the project. Um, so it was really crucial that we engage all of those who would be impacted by our findings and who may, in fact, be required to implement some of our recommendations. It was important for us to engage them. And in the, I guess, the, the follow-up or where we were delivering those findings, I guess we kind of had to be a bit like a sheepdog, so we really needed to work hard um, to actually herd those recommendations and find a home um, in, in terms of existing initiatives or BAU processes. So were we successful? Um, and how do we, in fact, define success for a project like this? So we define success using four lenses. So the first is around adoption of recommendations. Um, so, you know, have we been successful in making a change or impact to the way services are provided to our suppliers? The second lens is around appetite for service design. So as a result of this project, have we act actually had um, an increase in requests come through to the team? The third one is around supplier-centric mindset. So have we been successful in changing internal attitudes towards our suppliers? Are we seeing our stakeholders be more cognizant of our suppliers when making decisions that may impact them? And finally, around use of design artefacts. So through the project, we created personas, we created journey maps and scenarios. So we're really keen to see that these tools exist within the organisation outside of the project. So we like to track that as well. So if we look at the stats, I think we have 93% assigned. So this project was delivered, I think, in July of this year. We have 66% are in flight. 
and 27% have either been delivered already or part of BAU process. So we feel as though we've been quite successful. We've already started to make a change and see, see a change. In terms of appetite for more service design, this time last year we had one large project in the pipeline. This year we've got three large projects in the pipeline, so we've seen requests triple. Supplier-centric mindset. Look, we're very conscious that culture is not going to change overnight. Uh, but what we do notice... You know, just in conversations with senior stakeholders, they are bringing in some of those insights that we brought through from this project and reflecting on, you know, supplier needs and, and pain points and so forth. So we are seeing some slight behavioural uh, changes in our stakeholders, which is really good. And use of design artefacts. Um, as Tao mentioned, NBN use uh, journeys a lot, um, and these are a very effective tool. Personas are probably not leveraged as much in the business um, and it's probably more a case that we need to educate the business on how to use personas and that's something that we will look to do over the next 12 months. So what do we learn through this project and what would we be more mindful of when working on another of this kind? So we put a few tips and tricks together for tackling a large service design project. So firstly we'd ensure the core project team has sufficient time to ramp up. So we actually had two service designers start at MBN the day the project kicked off, um, myself included. <laughs> um, so, you know, being unfamiliar with MBN, not being onboarded to systems, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, I guess MBN is a very um, complex and technical organisation. Um, so having to sort of onboard two new starters really detracted from the um, project's initial focus. So just making sure building in time to ramp up for new starters. The second is around project planning. Um, you know, in future we'll probably plan out this project a little bit differently. Um, we, we didn't um, factor in a, I guess, a, a stage where we go back to our suppliers to validate our, our ideas and we found it very difficult to get um, time once the project had kicked off, so our um, stakeholders wanted those recommendations um, for, their own, for their own needs, um, so we, we found a bit of pushback in terms of going back to suppliers to validate ideas. <clears throat> um, and then the second uh, way we would change the project planning is we really underestimated just how complex some of those underlying issues are, uh, and we would probably build more time in, into just trying to identify what those root cause issues are. Um, a few more tips and tricks. So um, due to the size of this project, we collected a tonne of data, which made synthesis a real challenge. And we'd initially built into our research plan um, specific days where we could regroup as a team and share insights because we were working um, in parallel so, and, and in different states as well. However, due to the logistics and travelling and being on the road, because we were um, shadowing some of those technicians on, on jobs, um, that wasn't always possible. So our notes were a little bit haphazard. And um, looking back, it was really important to have an agreed framework for collecting data in a consistent format, especially if you know you're collecting a lot of data. Um, also, if filming sessions like, like what we did, consider assessing the quality of that footage that you're getting um, quite early on and then developing guidelines for um, recording, such as you know, just making sure everyone's watching out for background noise, potentially using a GoPro or um, lapel mic if you're with people who are doing a, um, a manual task so that they're focused on that and they're not, you're not pointing a camera in their face. 
and develop a taxonomy to tag content with afterwards so that it can be easily accessed again if, you know, a few months afterwards someone says, oh, do you have an insight around this scenario? You can easily go back and find it within a video. In terms of um, program management, we've learned from previous discovery projects that recommendations will usually be developed outside of the project scope and outside of that stakeholder's interest. So they might get fallen behind. Um, and this time we ensured that we had a program manager who could, um, who was on board with us and was able to work with other areas of the business to find homes for those recommendations. And this person ended up playing a really important change management role, which was great. But looking back, we realised we should have um, taken that person along the journey of the discovery project so they understood a bit more about the context behind these recommendations and that would have helped them find the right owners within the business. Um, and lastly, just in terms of getting this project stood up, um, it didn't happen overnight. We worked with this stakeholder for the last couple of years on smaller projects from usability testing and mapping workshops and... Um, gradually building up to one of this size. Um, but it meant that he was able to become familiar with our design process and we were able to become more knowledgeable about his area of the business. So when the time came to put together a research um, plan for this project together, we were able to speak in more detail and, and more articulately about, that, um, about the problem that we're trying to solve. So in the end, I think it actually helped build trust in the fact that we knew what, what we wanted to go out and uncover and that helped, I think, ultimately sell that project into him. Um, and finally, so in terms of where service design at MBN is going over the, last, over the next six to 12 months, um, as the organisation continues to mature, operational efficiency is becoming increasingly important. So there's lots of projects to streamline the business. Um, and it's been a great appetite for service design, as Renee spoke about. So we've set up a service design team specifically within the user experience practice now, and we're focusing on three core areas. So um, firstly, we're doing more deep dives around specific functional areas with our suppliers, so um, around payment claims, for instance, and doing more detailed design work there. We're also working with MBN Backstage, so... Um, basically with our operations and IT teams to help the two um, align processes and come out with better outcomes and address some of the root issues. And, um, and then working with our customer-focused design team and other areas of the business to um, align the service experience mapping across MBN. So we're now finding ourselves working a bit more in that organisational design space and it's quite an exciting place to play as service designers because you have much more of an um, influence and impact to changing the culture of some of the business teams that you're working with and helping them become a bit more um, human-focused in how they're designing their services. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Service Design Canberra 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.